Captain Jaring Cacophony tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, where a trio of festive, jolly, middle-aged Doctor Who fans get together to discuss their favourite show. I'm Kenny Smith and I'm your Santa Claus for today, full of Christmas cheer and hoping to bring you some joy this festive season. But over here, we have my little helper, who's wearing his elf suit and hat with a little bell on it too. Let's hear it tinkle. <laughs> Hello, David Steele the Elf. Welcome back. <laughs> Hello, Kenny. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back, etc. Yes, Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Compliments <laughs> of the good King Wenceslas, etc. Hooray. And dressed up as a reindeer with a glowing red nose, which we assume is from the cold and not too many whiskies. it's John Boland, the red-nosed reindeer. Hello, John. Hello, everyone. Thank you. I'm just, just putting down my glass of eggnog to share my festive wisdom with you. So lovely to be here as always. Good stuff. Now, gentlemen, as a rule, yeah. do we enjoy the Christmas episodes? John? Absolutely. In fact, I think when we discussed the return of Russell T. Davis as showrunner and you were asking us to think about what we would like to see happen or to see returning, uh, I said the Christmas special. I, I feel that there's there's nothing like it. I know it was a, a kind of an invented tradition uh, from the return of the of the new series, but there's just something uh, right about it that um, I'm afraid the the New Year special doesn't quite have for me. So I'm a big fan of the of the Christmas Day specials. Dave, yourself? Oh yeah, uh huh. It was um, yeah. John put John's put it so well. It became, very quickly became a, a sort of modern established tradition. I think even by the time of you know, the second one, you know, put the introduced on the Runaway Bride, it, it, it felt like we'd been doing it forever. I felt that Christmas TV has been lacking without it the last couple of years. It's, it's it's strange, even like, you know, what was the year we didn't get a PCAP series? Was it 2016? Yes. Would that have been one? Was that when we got the, the, the Husbands of River Song at the end? Oh, no, that was, was the superhero that? one, Dr. Mysterio, Return Dr. of Dr. Mysterio. Mysterio. Dr. Mysterio, we should, yeah, I should talk about that one day. <laughs> Go deep on that, actually, bore you to death, listeners. Yeah, I, I remember really anticipating that one more because there hadn't been a series and it's and obviously it meant we got an episode every year. Yeah, I like them a lot. I mean, everyone knows my favourite modern episode of Doctor Who is one of the Christmas specials. So, you know, it's I think it's an excuse. It, not, not, not an excuse. It's, a, it's an opportunity for um, to sort of raise the stakes and maybe heighten the storytelling a little bit and, you know, get some good guest stars in, get the bums in the seats. And it, it was for quite a long time, it was a central part of Christmas and, yeah, I really hope they bring them. They bring them back. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Do you do you enjoy the Christmas specials, then, Ken? Absolutely. And you think Christmas Day is virtually the only day of the year where you'll get people who have come together as families or, or friend groups, and will sit around and watch TV after having eaten, had a wee drink, and be watching the TV as part of the being merry in my book. And it's a great chance just to put your feet up, and you don't have stories connected to any arcs, or you shouldn't really have as we had throughout the tenants and, and Matt years, really, until, of course, it came to Regenerations episodes at Christmas, which I don't like because that makes it a sad thing at Christmas. But mm. as a rule, I generally love Christmas episodes because I think they're good fun. I mean, you just need to look at the sheer joyous bits of The Runaway Bride, where you've got the TARDIS going down the motorway. Absolute joy. And the Doctor hanging out to get Donna to jump out of the taxi. And just moments like that, you think, yep, this is good fun. This is what Christmas TV should be. Something that you'll go, wow, and you can laugh along with. And you'll have thrills and spills, and you know that at the end of it, there will always be a happy ending. More or less. I've got to say, I mean, last, last Christmas, which was so utterly crap, 
because of the, the whole COVID situation. I really could have done with a Doctor Who Christmas special. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's always, as you say, a happy ending, but not in all cases, as we will discuss, as we will discuss this evening. Mm. I wonder what that mm. could mean. But yes, Dave, that sounds to me like we're going to discuss three Doctor Who Christmas specials today. Would that be right? I think so. I think that's what I've signed up for anyway. Yes. Oh, oh that's good then. <laughs> and we don't want to breach the contract. So we'll start with this one, Voyage of the Damned. Right. Titanic. Um, who? the name? So you travel a lot? Starway. Check your scanners, Captain. You've got meteors coming in and no shielding. Look out the windows! Information. You are all going to die. Bad day for a ship. I don't think it was an accident. I will get you out of here, Astrid. I promise. We're going to save the Titanic. I've got life signs all over the ship, but they're going out one by one. I'm the Doctor. The I'm a time lord. It's gonna fall! I'm the man is gonna save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. Dave, can you tell us about it from our friends at TARDISFandom.com, please? Kenny, nothing would give me greater pleasure at this point in time. Right, this is a good one, listeners. Voyage of the Damned was the 2007 Christmas special of Doctor Who. Right, so far, so good, as they say in The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> It was the show's third Christmas special mm-hmm. since its revival and the third Christmas special starring David Tennant as the Doctor. Now, Astrid's death at the conclusion of the episode was the first time a companion of the Doctor was seen to die in the revived series. Mm. What? Companion? No. Companion? What? A famous guest star, maybe. Right. The episode also marked the first appearance of Wilfred Mott, future companion to the 10th Doctor and grandfather to Donna Noble. That's fair. Okay. For a few months... Voyage of the Damned was the highest charting episode in Doctor Who history. For a few months, Voyage of the Damned was the highest charting episode in Doctor Who history, the second most watched programme of its week and indeed of the entire of 2007. Damned took the crown from part two of the Ark in Space. However, it would be displaced about seven months later by Journey's End, which was the first episode of Doctor Who ever to win its week of original transmission. (laughs) So there we go. Tarda's wiki, please never stop being so contentious. (laughs) <laughs> the minutiae the things they quibble about and find important is just incredible. So, Voyage of the Damned, what can I say about it? Well, quite a lot. I think it's one of those ones when we first got a hint of it at the end of Last of the Time Lords, when the Titanic smashes through the TARDIS wall and we're all expecting it to be, oh, a Doctor Who Christmas special on the Titanic. Okay, I can see that with ice and things like that, but... Surely that's not really the most happy of locations to set a Christmas episode, given that we know what will happen at the end. And given that uh, Jack and Rose are busy elsewhere, then we're not going to get that Jack and Rose, are we? (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. This is probably the most movie-like Doctor Who has ever been. I think by this point, Doctor Who had absolutely found its swagger. And swagger is definitely the word for this. It was confident. It had a leading man that everybody loved. It was something that people talked about. My friends who are not Doctor Who fans would talk to me about Doctor Who, which was absolutely unheard of. And you, the fact you were able to attract Kylie Minogue, one of the biggest stars in Britain, and possibly even one of the biggest names in the world of entertainment across the whole planet. And to be able to bring her in for an episode and think, yep, this is a show that's got something. It has a fantastic setting. The sets look brilliant. It's a very different location. And what a great idea to have a replica 
of the Titanic in space and just think, what kind of minds could come up with that? It's such a different idea, really, really pushing it. And the fact it looks like the Titanic, but with spaceship engines attached to it as well. And just think, yep, this is great. This is the work of somebody who's confident and knows exactly what he's doing. And very quickly, quick introductions to everybody. We can see that Astrid is put upon. We can see that there's the bullying yayas, the, the rich kids who are there. We get to meet the the others, who've, the ones who've won the competition to be there, Foon. And I've completely forgotten his name now, her husband. But you've got them on there and we get to see what they're like. We meet Mr. Copper, who we shall discuss very briefly later on. But we get to, we get all these characters. We're introduced to all our leads very, very quickly. And of course, things are going to go wrong, you know, with meteoroids. And then you look at, again, the guest cast as well. Jeffrey Palmer coming back to Doctor Who after a gap of something like, what, 30 odd years since he last did his, his Pertwee stuff. And we've also got Russell Tovey up there as well, who Russell T would have cast as the Doctor had he stayed on to do the first Matt Smith series, or what became first Matt Smith series. And it just the spectacle of it, it keeps moving at one hell of a pace. I love the fact that it never stays still. So very quickly, we're beamed down to Earth and Mr. Copper does entertain with his facts that are so wrong about Christmas, with the, the, the people of Turkey, all these things, I think, hugely entertaining. And we get to briefly meet Wilfred Mott, who we all think, oh, there we go, Bernard Cribbins does Doctor Who properly. Isn't that great? Love a wee cameo. And we'll never see him again. How wrong I was. And I'm so pleased that I was wrong. And then, of course, back to the Titanic and things start to really, really go wrong. And we get the Doctor Who disaster movie. I was quite a fan of the Poseidon adventure in my youth. So it was quite pleasing to see it being done on a spaceship. And bit by bit, they go through and they face all their different perils as the, the people who we love get picked off one by one. Particularly that scene when it comes to crossing, I believe they called it the strut, when they're going across that bridge. And it's just think, Ugh, really, really. I mean, I get the heebie-jeebies even looking at that because I have a real fear of heights. And even though it's on my TV screen and it's all CGI, oh, I just, I just get, I just hate it. I hate it. It makes me feel very uncomfortable. And I think that's quite good if you can capture that in a TV show. And we get the Doctor being his heroic best. Lots of chat and. Of course, we get Banacafalata, which is a wonderful name to try and say. Banacafalata. Although it does sound a bit like a drink, like a banana coffee latte or something like that, which possibly could be Russell T. Davis's favourite coffee. I don't know. I'll ask him next time I speak to him. And you're, you're speculating wildly now. You're just you're in realms of madness. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's what Doctor Who fans do. And, um, and just the fact we get, uh, we get the, the lovely couple picked off, they're gone and Banacafalat is gone. We get him seen discharging his weapon to, that sounds a bit rude, to fight off the angels. And don't the angels look wonderful? The robotic servants, the heavenly host, I think, obviously heavily influenced by the robots of death with their peaceful, calm voices, beautifully sculpted faces. And yes, I, I really like that. And one by one, all picked off. And Kylie accidentally, get, or I should say Astrid, accidentally getting engaged to Banacafalata. And stuff like that. And it's just, it's really good fun, really good character stuff. And the fact that it's constant, again, as I say, the movement, it just keeps moving across. I just keep, I always picture this as being a horizontal story and it just keeps moving on and on and on all the time. Beautifully directed as well. And then, of course, we get to meet the villain of the piece, Max Capricorn, the dastardly businessman. And it's all about money for him, which, of course, is something that Russell T. Davis is not a big fan of, the big business and the capitalists who are out to milk 
money from those who have none and uh, people getting tricked and even the stuff when Foon admits that she's spent a fortune on phone bills to enter the competition to win the tickets and just think that was the time when there was a dreadful thing called quiz tv going when you'd yes. phone up it was complete luck of the draw and people were getting conned into spending literally hundreds if not thousands of pounds trying to be the lucky person drawn out where you just have a woman sitting going oh and when's the phone going to ring and all the time and then it would be randomly like one call in 15 minutes and all the time people are paying like one pound 50 to call us up anyway i thought that was a really nice subtle how much, start did, um, that. How, much, how much did you spend on quiz tv then it must have been quite a lot if you remember it so clearly oh no i remember watching it because i hated it so much and thought it was so dreadful honestly i bet you used to tape it i bet you used to record it and watch it back i bet you did well it's the only i have a vcr now um <laughs> yeah still enjoying it. I've actually got the Blu-ray collection of Quiz TV, The Complete Works, oh. season oh, one and two. Would. Coming soon, Kenny's retrospective podcast series where he discusses <laughs> every single instalment of Quiz TV. <laughs> and how long people waited for that phone to ring. Anyway, my useless trivial fact about Quiz TV is one of the presenters on it was called Kareel, and right. she was the singer of that song, Keep, Keep, Keep It Warm, Keep, Keep It Warm, Keep Warm, and she was the singer of that. So there you go. I know, it's um, a, it was a she, 90s she, dance track. Is she going to be the first guest on your podcast? <laughs> I need to track her down, but yes. You know what? I would listen to a retrospective finite podcast about the legacy and history of Quiz TV. I'm just putting that out there. I okay. Very I'll invite you to come on anyway. as a guest. You can share your memories of it as well, Dave. <laughs> anyway, Max Capricorn, <laughs> what a bastard. A disembodied head, played by the wonderful George Costigan, who the first time I remember seeing him was in Rita Sue and Bob 2. And what a fab film that is. My, do you know what? I must interject at this point. My late friend, David Ravels, former HMB colleague who's no longer with us, Rita Sue and Bob 2 was his favourite film. Mm -hmm. And rather cruelly, I used to say, because David was quite a small chap, quite diminutive in stature, and I, for ages, referred to Banner Cavalata guy. <laughs> <laughs> Small with a red face, that was him. So yeah, God bless you, David. <laughs> I love it. I yep. love it. Were you a fan of Rita Sue and Bob too, John? I am struggling to think if I've actually seen it before. Um, it, it, a, I think it's going to be on Talking Pictures TV over the festive period. I'm pretty right. sure it's going to be on. Hey, I've only seen Mean Girls, put it <gasps> that way. What? Mean Girls are fantastic. You know, so what can I say? I love Mean Girls. Mean Girls is amazing. Let's move back to, to yes. And uh, of course, when poor old Astrid goes over the edge just when the doctor's been all nice and saying, yeah, you can come with me. Almost like that, Eccleston, do you want to come with me? And she goes off the edge and poor doctor's all sad. And of course, we get the lovely little bit of the transmat with Astrid before she goes to dust and flies off into space. And poor doctor's all by himself again. All in all, I think it's a special that looks great. There's some really good laughs in it. I mean, even the little bit with the Titanic plummeting towards the earth to crash into Buckingham Palace, I mean, of all places. And then you get Jessica Martin voicing the Queen going, thank you, Doctor, and just silliness <laughs> like that. I think that's absolutely just, as Russell T. Davis at Christmas, at the absolute height of his powers. And if Voyage of the Damned is a basic template for what we've got to come in 2023, and who knows, perhaps Christmas 2022, then I would be more than happy if this is the touchstone from which they work. What about yourself, John? Where do you stand with it? Well, I would agree with most of what you've said. 
thing about being a part of this Christmas special is that it's given me an opportunity to watch the the three Christmas specials for the first time in ages. So uh, I, I was watching it a uh, uh, kind of with with fresh eyes, and as you said, it really is Russell T Davis at the at the at the top of his game. And, and it really plays to all of his strengths. Like he loves to do big spectacle. You know, it's all about things on a massive scale. There's, as you say, it's it's really fast paced. It, it kicks along, you know, at a, at a furious rate. But it's so grim. Uh, you mentioned it being funny, but boy, it's it's really um, accurately called the voyage of the damned because, like, you know, hardly anyone gets out alive. <laughs> and and there's this kind of so the the body count is is tremendous and it, that that really struck me you know especially contrasting it with the with the Stephen Moffat specials in which practically no one dies you know so so it was just this kind of orgy of, of death so that that's that struck me really for the for the first time as I was looking and maybe because I was comparing it with the other two stories the film itself or the filming of it was was lush and beautiful. You could really see that they'd thrown a lot of money at it. The only thing that really irked me about it, uh, and, and I really remembered that it did actually bug me at the time as well, was the whole stuff about, you know, the whole messianic doctor complex. And, you know, I'm the time lord from the Gallifrey and the constellation of Casterbris. I'm going to save you all, blah, blah. All of these kind of speeches, that made me kind of cringe quite a lot. That was one element. Of the of the David Tennant era, especially as it approached its end, that I, I didn't really like. I know it's gearing up for this kind of idea of the Time Lord victorious and how his own hubris brings him down to an extent. But no, I, I, that 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 kind of thing just irritated me a wee bit. But it didn't detract from the the overall pleasure of the of the of the spectacle. And you don't really have to pay an awful lot of attention to it one of these things that if you are sitting in a in a, a room with your family on Christmas Day and everyone's slightly the worse for wear, certainly in, in my household, and people are talking and all that, you know, you can sort of say, shh, but you won't lose too much, you know, if it's playing in the background because it's got this scale that kind of draws people in to kind of like dip in and out of it. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm not a massive Kylie fan, but I did recognise at the time how, how important it was to get a big name like that, and a big name Doctor Who fan, of course. I mean, she's uh, on record as being a fan of the of the program. So yeah, it was it was all good. I do like the fact you've just come up with a story title there for the revived Russell series, Orgy of Death. <laughs> Orgy of Death. There's that doc- there's that parody Doctor Who that you'd find in one of the, the high number channels, isn't it? <laughs> Dave, what, do you th- <laughs> what do I think? Well, I think it's. Aside from The Next Doctor, which is my, my favourite episode of Modern Doctor Who ever, it's probably my most watched of the Christmas specials. I love it. It's a cross between The Poseidon Adventure and The Towering Inferno with a, an amazing cast. A Doctor at the height of his powers, um, as far as the actor playing his performance, I think. I, I agree with what John says about the hubris, the, the Doctor's sort of, you know, self-confidence and pride and all that. I remember always sort of being kind of like, because, you know, he's too, he gets a bit too cocky. At times, you know, it's because he makes that sweeping statement how he's going to save everyone, and then he really doesn't. And John's right; it's a story that everyone remembers for the fact that Kylie's in it and the the fluffy bits with um with Bernard Cribbins and and um Richard from Keeping Up Appearances. But you know, so many people die that amongst the scenes that struck me this time, the young couple who are watching the meteorites flying towards the ship. And they're all oh, look, look at that. And then you see the thing, and you realize they were probably just 
vaporised. And you think, oh my God. And the scenes where um, the crew members that Russell Tovey's talking to all get picked off one by one, that really struck me. I was like, oh, that's grim. That's brutal. It's a weird one. I think it was um, Oscar Wilde who said, one must have a heart of stone to watch the death of Astrid without laughing. Um, <laughs> I thought it was appalling at the time. It really took me out of it. I thought it was so cheesy and so corny. I think Russell sometimes could got a little too sentimental. I think, in fact, that's something I'm going to say about one of the other ones tonight as well. I think there's a danger of the Christmas specials to get too sentimental and too cheesy, and it's a thin line to walk. And I think this story just about balances it out because what I think really should have happened was that Astrid should have jumped out of that um, <laughs> that forklift that she was <laughs> that she she was in with the brake line. She really she probably had plenty of time to to jump out. At the time, I I was just like, oh god, I thought it was terrible, and I still think it's terrible and cheesy and corny. However, five minutes later or so, you have one of my favourite scenes in Doctor Who full stop which is when I'm and I might tear up here because I teared up watching it the purity and the innocence of Mr Copper realising that he can have a house and plates and a table and a door and a garden that is that was beautiful I, I thought I loved it at the time I cried at the time I teared up a bit watching it this time it totally brings me back from the whole uh, the cheesiness of Kylie and then I mean it's a fascinating sort of insight into the psychology of the Doctor at this point in his life because he's convinced that he can bring it back. I can do it. I can do anything! All that stuff. It's great to watch him not being able to do it and then have it pointed out to him. You know, if you could control who lived and who died. And, and he doesn't really learn that lesson, sadly. I think that um, Mr. Swift, who plays Mr. Copper, was the subject of a really nasty sort of um, interview in Loose and Very Commons in, um, in Doctor Who magazine around the time when, um, when their correspondent showed an absolute lack of tact and professionalism in the way that he reported the chat with him. And I remember when um, when Mr. Swift died, Russell T. Davis wrote a very nice letter to DWM, which sort of said how he how well he remembered him um, at the premiere, just sort of enjoying himself and, you know, how delighted and happy Mr. Swift was there to be with his um with his granddaughter and stuff. And I think that's how he should remember. It was a it was a horrible piece. DWM was a certain correspondent who really, you know, anyway, I should probably say no more. It's a, it's an interesting story. I'm glad that John brought it up. The death toll is, 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 is terrible. And I think it's one of those ones when the Doctor really just scrapes through. You know, it's not his, it's not his finest hour by any stretch. And one thing that, that struck me, actually, on the little impromptu bridge when they're trying to get across the, ca the chasm, he's lost the, the couple and he's lost Banner for Cavalata. So when he stands up and says no more, which nowadays, he says it with such force. And nowadays, in the wake of Day of the Doctor, I couldn't help but think about Sir John Hart and how he said it. Mm -hmm. And obviously, when that was written and played in 2007, the board doctor wasn't even a germ of an idea in anyone's brain. But that was interesting, because it gave it a little bit more sort of, shall we say, retroactive resonance. And I liked that bit a lot. So, you know, overall, I, had, I mean, I hadn't watched it in a long time, and it was great watching it again. My opinion of it didn't really change. I think it's one of the best Christmas specials. It walks a thin line, and the good stuff balances out the cheese. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very fair summing up. Also, Dave, I remember, Dave, what is the most drunk Doctor Who story? Oh, right. Hang on. John, I've feel free these. to chip in. I've, I've missed these listeners. No, <laughs> I've missed these awful jokes. Um, the most pissed Doctor Who story. Don't know. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Voyage of the Drammed. Oh, for goodness sake. 
Anyway, I'm off. No, 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 no yeah. don't go yet yeah, because it's... John, take care. <laughs> because Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without a party game. So Dave, why don't we bring back an old favourite and have a quick couple of rounds. Dave, let's play the cask and still quantum archangel game. Yes, John, I don't know if you're aware of this. Many years ago, there was a BBC Doctor Who book published called The Quantum Archangel by a gentleman who's no longer with us by the name Craig Hinton. And the review in Doctor Who magazine said that you could genuinely think of a number, pick a page from the book at random and spot the Doctor Who continuity reference. So we all sat there in the pub talking about this review. And I went, I think we should put this. I even sniffed at the time. I said, I think we should put this to the test. So me and Dave McNay ran round to Borders, which was still open in those days. I bought a copy of the Quantum Archangel and we came back and we sat in the pub and flicked through at random, picking out page numbers and reading out the continuity references. And there was thousands. So am I going to have to go and look for it? No, Dave, oh. we're in luck because what? I what? I have my PDF digital copy of it here, which ah. I have, which is... Luckily, it's a different page count from the print anyway. edition. Let me go look for mine anyway. This is what you've signed up for, John. Wow. What a time to be alive. My copy. I'll hold, it, I'll hold it up to the camera, listeners, so, so you can see it. Still has its borders price sticker on the back. There you well, go. Well, that's very nostalgic. It is, isn't it? Um, yeah. Doctor Who, 2339 science fiction, blah, 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 blah. Five Well, John. Why didn't you pick the first page to go with? Pick... <coughs> 47. Yes. I had my reading glasses. Oh. 47, right, hang on. 47. Can I put them? This is what happens when you've got old listeners. You need, a, you need, you need reading glasses and B, you forget where you put them. You are about to say listening glasses there, weren't you? Yes, I know. Why did they have yeah. to print them? So, right, hang on. Okay, um, right, well, there's a mention of the Time Lords in the second line. Um, <laughs> Pure hide from the Time Monsters having a conversation. Ah, here we go. Do you like this? Humanity is one of the few races in the universe which has an instinctive understanding of time travel, Stuart. Statenheim and Waldorf <laughs> put together a working blueprint of a TARDIS in the 17th century, while Lassiter and Monroe enroached upon Time Lord technology in the 11th millennium. So there we go. A mention of Staten, uh, Staten Island. Only the Master turns up at the end of the page as well. So there you go. Time Lords, the Master, and Staten Oh, and there's the Valyard. <laughs> Those are another Valyard waiting in the wings. So that's good. That's an excellent page. Well Four done, at least. Four, well, can I pick page 82, please? Page 82, right. 82. Okay. <clears throat> ah, well, the Master's there. Um, to doom equals MC cubed. Um, someone called Miss Whitaker. Um, MC cubed, that's time monster reference, is it? Right, well, there you go then. So, um, he's took the, the master is there and he mentions Stuart Hyde and he does that E equals MC cubed. So, that if that's a time monster reference, there you go. <laughs> um, right, shall I? I'll go I'll for one day. I'll just I'll flick through it at random. Right, so here's page 165. Um, um, chronovores, Eternals, <laughs> um, dun, dun, dun. the Master brought the Titan, what's that Titan array online? Um, yep, so here we go, Eternals and the Master and chronovores, there we are. Wonderful. Elmer, Davison era and the Petri era on one page. There you go, the Quantum Archangel listeners, get your copy on eBay now. 
entertain the kids this Christmas with the Quantum Archangel game. To give it its full title, it's the Cask and Still Quantum Archangel game. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we should we should organise a yearly tournament, except we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. That was a wee Christmas game. So let's move on <laughs> to our next episode. So let's skip forward an incarnation and we'll go to Christmas 2011 as it's Matt Smith's second Christmas special, The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe. England, 1941. And there's a war on. So wanted. Who are you? Who's it called The Doctor? Or the caretaker, or get off this planet. That man is quite ridiculous. I know. You must stay away from him. Why have you got a phone box in your room? It's not a phone box, it's my wardrobe. Sarah. Your brother, where is he? Hello. Okay, come on. Where are we? In a forest, in a box, in a sitting room. What do they teach you at school these days? There is something very wrong in this forest. And your brother's right in the middle of it. <laughs> Best Christmas ever. I know. And... I will tell you what TARDIS.Fandom.com has to say about it. Let me tell you this, boy. The Doctor, The Widow and the Wardrobe was the 2011 Christmas special of Doctor Who. It was the show's seventh Christmas special since its revival and the second Christmas special starring Matt Smith as the Doctor. As with A Christmas Carol the previous year, this story took its name from popular literature. It marked a relapse for the Doctor, who renounced his choice to travel alone and was reunited with Amy Pond and Rory Williams. So, John, tell us what you thought. I, as I said, I I was really watching these Christmas specials for the first time in in ages. Uh, So I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I know it may not have uh, a great reputation. It it certainly maybe isn't in in the same category as A Christmas Carol which I thought was absolutely beautiful but I thought this was beautiful in its own way too uh, you know Dave spoke about the kind of sentimentality and how it's it's easy to kind of go full on schmaltz I think that's certainly something that, that, that Stephen Moffat struggles with maybe struggles not the right word but you know I think all of his Christmas specials are unabashedly a love letter to Christmas picking out some aspect of it and really, I was unable to to watch it this time without a real sense of personal nostalgia, because, uh, as I'll say a bit more in, in a minute, the, th- the fact that the mother figure, the mothership, is so important. It just kind of struck me as I, as I was watching it that this was the last Christmas special that I watched with the family, including my mother, because she then passed away the next, the next year. Uh, so there was a lot of... Yeah, so there's a lot of that kind of personal sentiment and sentimentality attached to to what I was seeing uh, on the on the screen. Kenny, you went through and, and took us through blow by blow uh, everything that happened in the uh, in the voyage of the damned. I, I I'm not going to do that with this because it's so complicated, and that might be identified as one of its kind of weak points. But I just thought it was a really magical 
Christmas special. Uh, that the word that I would use is is magical. Uh, the fact that there are all of these kind of Narnia tropes in there, uh, and it's so beautifully realised as well. When they go through the the Christmas present through this dimensional tunnel into the into this other other world, the, the forest looks absolutely beautiful. And, and just taking all of the kind of the, the Christmas things that we, you know, that we, we surround ourselves with, the Christmas tree, and then in this parallel world, the Christmas tree growing real baubles and things like that. I just thought that was really magical. And that's the sort of thing that that, that would appeal to the, the children in the room and to the child in, in all of us. And I really enjoyed the the fact that there is this, really sad story of, of of love and loss and bereavement and as I said that the fact that the mother Madge is is so determined to protect her children from the sadness of knowing that their father is missing in action I thought that was so so beautiful and so understated and yet it's one of the most important parts of the of the of the plot itself that it shows the strength of the mother and as I said, I was kind of watching it from a very, a very personal perspective because I was thinking about my own mother and thinking back to the. This is going to be a real mood kill, by the way, uh, listeners. Yes, this is this is not going to be a cheery discussion at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the Christmas, um, my, my my father died when I was when I was a wee boy, and it was very close to Christmas, and my mother went all out to ensure that it was the best Christmas I'd ever had. That included blowing out uh, uh, an enormous amount of money, as it then was getting me the Fisher Price Doctor Who toys, uh, all of them. You know, right. I would have hoped for one, maybe in an average Christmas, but this year I got them all, <laughs> and it was that thing about you know the best Christmas ever, because my mother was trying to to, to compensate in some way for that for that loss. So that really resonated with me, this this figure of the of the mother. But then that's contrasted beautifully, I think, with the figure of the doctor, who is so caring and so so eager to not not reward, but to repay Madge for the help that she provided to him after he fell out of the sky. Again, all of that stuff at the start of the episode is completely bonkers, but it's exquisitely so. You know, falling through space and and getting dressed in a hurry and putting the space uh, the, the the space helmet on backwards and all of that. Uh, I just thought that was that was really well done. And the juxtaposition of the police box and the TARDIS, then the TARDIS and the wardrobe, giving us one of the funniest lines I think in the whole the whole episode, where the Doctor says he's rewiring his wardrobe, and Madge says, "Why why would you rewire a wardrobe?" And he says, "Seen how I dress." You know, I thought that was that was really funny, and it's it's a, it's a really you know, there's, there's lots of those witty uh, one-liners um, throughout. And I think Matt Smith is just a, a delight to watch. You know, he's, he's just got all of this this energy, the, the physicality, the awkwardness of a newborn foal taking its first steps, the delight of being surrounded by children and Christmas and adventure, culminating in that lovely reunion scene uh, with Amy and Rory, where... He, he he talks about happy crying and the and the humany womany uh, aspect. You know, I just thought it was really really lovely, and and I thought that's that's what I would like in, in Christmas Day, a nice slice of sentiment under the Christmas tree. I thought also as an episode, it was it was a good way to deliver uh, an eco message, 
in a way that didn't smash you in the face with it, uh, as as has been perhaps the case with some of the the more recent yeah. theme yeah. stories. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it too. Uh, I thought mm, that's good. Like um, the Voyage of the Damned again, it's got a very good, although somewhat smaller cast. There are some nice wee cameos in there as well with Bill Bailey and Arabella Weir and so on. I thought that was really good to see them, given that Arabella Weir, I know, had had a previous stint on audio uh, playing the Doctor. Uh, it was good to see her on the on the screen and her. Two Doors Down co-star um, Jonathan Watson uh, has followed her onto the, the big screen. Uh, I only just realised a couple of, well, just last week, literally, that that's that's who it was, uh, <laughs> playing the Santaran Commanders. Um, he was really good, wasn't he? He was, he was absolutely He was fantastic. You know, I always, I always think of him as the wee annoying guy from City Lights, and he was just like, uh-huh. if it was like playing a Santaran his whole life, he was brilliant. I found his number in my my contacts book the other day. All right. Oh yeah. yeah oh, I clang <laughs> Kenny's address book. Hashtag Kenny's okay. address book. <laughs> well, on Twitter, liked he liked my my tweet about it. So there, put that well, in your. That'll do. Good. You'll log and and smoke <laughs> it. Yeah. So uh, that was really a, a pleasure to to watch, but as I said, I felt it. I felt I was watching it through this kind of prism of sentiment. It just seemed to evoke that. Yeah, um, that, that 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 whole thing. So apologies, uh, listeners, if that if that got you down a wee bit. But no. uh, part of the season, isn't it? No, not at all. I have to admit, I'm not going to lie. I actually was tearing up when you were saying that and talking about the Christmas. And I felt it because I mean, it's this year has been ten years since my mum passed away, and that's been sort of at the back of my mind. While and watching that episode back made me think a lot about my mum and how important her mums are, and. Just I just everything you were saying there just absolutely was ringing true with me, John. Certainly, as you say, the mothership and things like that. I mean, I think the opening is fabulous. You know, completely abstract from the rest of the story, but it just is such a good set piece. The mock Star Wars ship with the spaceship flying over, although you can tell it's CGI. Give me a good model shot any day, and just the whole silliness of Matt Smith when he's got the spacesuit on, walking around, bumping into things, and yeah, I really enjoyed that. Great guest cast. I, mean, I, I was never really a fan of Claire Skinner, but I think in this she absolutely sells the fact that she's a mum doing everything for her kids. She's very, and she's also, she looks very sort of 1940s as well. Just her face, she's got these features like the lady who played Agatha Christie, whose name's coming out of my head for the moment in the Unicorn. Thank you. I think she's got that sort of 1930s kind of face. So that was, I think that was some really good casting. And the whole stuff with the, I mean, and the throwaway line about Androzani Major as well, when you mentioned Bill Bailey. I mean, really, I enjoyed it far more than I expected to, because this is one that I've always thought, this is the weakest of the Matt Smith Christmas specials, but actually, it's very, very clever, very clever piece of writing. And I think I'm right in saying that Stephen's mum passed away before. I, I'm sure I read somewhere that his mum had passed away, and this could well have been him putting some things in there for her. I could be wrong, but I think there's an awful lot of, there's a lot of lines in there for somebody who's loved and lost. And I think that comes across really strongly. Great child actors, which is not always the case. Very surprised by how good they were. Although I think the girl who played Lily was a bit older than acting. She was acting down. But the boy playing Cyril was tremendous. Really likeable and mm-hmm. you, not that sort of kid that you'd want to like trip up and smash his face in. Not that I ever would condone anybody tripping up children and smashing their faces in. But yeah, really good. 
really good. Really, it made me feel warm at the end, particularly when Alexander Armstrong turns up at the end and when Madge is in the chair and she's just getting all emotional thinking about him. And yeah, it really worked for me. I was pleasantly surprised. Everybody lives. Mr. It's Steel. a difficult one to talk about. It's a difficult one for me to talk about. And I don't want to get too personal. I'll get personal to an extent. I completely tuned out when I was watching it this time. I think once they go through the, the metaphorical wardrobe and into the, the forest, I found myself tuning out. I wasn't, it didn't really hold my attention at all. And I only really felt tuned back in when, when Matt turned up at the ponds. It's a difficult one for me to talk about. I mean, I remember my memory at the time when it first went out was, it went out, my dad had died in 2010. This, um, this is a cheerful one, listeners. My dad had <laughs> died in 2010. And in many ways, it kind of, it took a long time to hit me properly. And I remember feeling a bit of a soothing balm from this story when it first went out. I thought my, my main memories at the time were thinking, and I, you know, Matt is my favourite of the modern doctors, but I struggle often with these stories because I don't like the writing. I don't like, you know, I don't like a lot of the, the characterization. I love the opening sequence. I love when the, the nice lady from um, Outnumbered helps him to back the TARDIS and it's just a, a real police box. And, you know, I mean, He's not, you don't see his face for that whole sequence, and he's absolutely hilarious. I watched that and I was delighted. And I found the the scenes when he's, you know, telling them, showing the family around the house and all the stuff that he's done, despite myself, despite my cynical old wasted heart, I found myself smiling and, and laughing at those because they were they were quite charming because Matt, I think, sells it. But as I say, I tuned out, I my ears pricked up at the Androzani major reference. I, I like that. I remember at the time, I think liking that and um laughing but I mean as I say I found it quite a soothing balm the first time I watched it because you know I, I, I wanted my dad back I couldn't I can't lie and this time it's a weird one to talk about and as I, said, I don't want to get too personal but I I miss my dad more and more every year bereavement's a difficult thing I I struggle with it and I didn't like the ending this time I thought it was too pat and too sweet and too because life's not like that mm-hmm and I know it's a bit of fantasy escapism, obviously, but I kind of thought mm, it didn't it didn't push my buttons in the same way. It's probably, you know, I'm on record many times as saying I'm not a fan of the Stephen Moffat method, and I have a lot to say, obviously, about the next episode we're going to talk about as well because it's another one of his. I I struggle to say very much about this one that's positive. I think there's a bit too much sentiment in this one. We talk about walking the thin line. I think this one crosses it. It's admirable and it's intent, I think, and I can't fault it for that. Matt is tremendous at the start, but for me, once they get into the into Narnia and commas, I just tune out because it just becomes blah 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 blah. Oh, good, right? Or oh, they're flying through time, and yes, of course, she's rescued her husband because you know, in the complete contrast to what you know, as, as John pointed out, to the massacre that is Voyage of the Damned, you know, um, I'll, I should probably just wind up because I don't have too much more to say beyond enjoy Matt's performance, I think it veers too much into sentimentality and you know, with my own um, sort of feelings and, ex- and experience and, and things, it's I find it a little too pat, so there we go to, cut to if you pardon the pun, so yeah, it's a difficult one a difficult one, and I think because I don't, I don't want this episode to turn into you know, the three of us spilling our hearts and spilling our guts about, you know what we've lost, especially as it's going to, it was a Christmas episode. So, I mean, I should emphasize that the bits that I like in this story, I really like. Like, you know, the physical comedy of Matt jumping in at the hammock. Well, it's ridiculous. 
And, you know, it's a complete contrast to say something like, I don't know, the deadly assassin. You know, it's very hard to believe it's the same man. But Matt is such a physical, funny actor that it's, that it's hilarious. All the stuff with the taps, pouring lemonade. That's beautiful. You'd, be, you'd have to be the coldest, hardest, cynical bastard to not like that at all. So it has its charm, but I feel overall a little too sentimental. Interesting, but that's the wonder of how we all interpret it and what we take from it and different things at different times, which is good. Very good. Let's move on. As Dave mentioned, we have another Stephen Moffat episode to talk about. We're mm. going to skip forward to Christmas 2014. Peter Capaldi's in the TARDIS, and this is his first festive episode with Clara at his side in Last Christmas. I'm back. I've got inside the tops. Come on, it's Christmas, the North Pole. Who are you going to call? What seems to be the problem? And to round us off today, John, will you please tell us what TARDIS.Fandom.com has to say about it, please? Okay, well, mostly what you just said by way of introduction. It says, last Christmas was the 2014 Christmas special of Doctor Who. It was the show's 10th Christmas special since its revival and the first of four Christmas specials starring Peter Capaldi as the Doctor. It guest starred Nick Frost as a dream manifestation of Santa Claus, previously the end of Death in Heaven as a lead into this story. This story dealt with repairing the bond between the Doctor and Clara after they parted ways under the belief that the other had a better life waiting for them instead of continuing their adventures. The Christmas special also saw the return of Danny Pink, Clara Oswald's boyfriend, former Cole Hill School teacher, albeit only in Clara's dream state. It also dealt with Clara finally moving on from her grief. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> casting wise. <laughs> Happy thoughts, everyone. Casting-wise, it was notable for featuring the first on-screen Doctor Who appearance of Michael Troughton, son of the second Doctor actor Patrick Troughton and brother of David Troughton, who had previously made several of his own guest appearances on the series. It also sees Dan Starkey, who previously portrayed the Sontaran Strax in numerous stories, now in a small part of the elf Ian. Oh, that's very past remarkable. So, uh, yeah, mm. that, that's what we have to say. This is one that I'm hugely looking forward to hearing what Dave has to say about it. And I'm sure right. that my dear friend will explain why. Cracks knuckles. Right. I think John picked up on my tweet last week when I, I mentioned, I alluded to the fact that I was watching this episode. I didn't, I didn't want to sort of go off on a rant <laughs> on Twitter and just thought save it all for when we were talking. On broadcast, last Christmas was my least favourite episode of Doctor Who ever. I'll talk a little bit of why. As I've said many times in this, in this podcast, I was not a fan at all of the first Peter Capaldi series. I didn't like the tone of it. I didn't like the emphasis on Dr. and Clara's relationship. Many times I've said it was like watching an ITV adult drama about a middle-aged man trying to cock-block his you know, secretary's boyfriend. I hated it, frankly. This, I disliked the characterization of the Doctor, I, and I really thought that the last couple of episodes of his first series really crossed the line as far as darkness and just nastiness and cynicism. There was some real unpleasant stuff, coupled with some absolute 
corny cheese, you know, people returning from the day. It was just terrible. From I, At least that that's you know, my opinion. So going into this Christmas episode, I was not in the best frame of mind for Doctor Who, and I absolutely loathed it. I have very clear memories of just sitting, shaking my head, mainly because it's a, it's, it's a bit, compare it to Voyage of the Damned, that it's, you know, which is really, as Kenny put it, you know, a horizontal platform game in a way. But last Christmas, it's a bit of a plotless mess. What you've got is basically weird stuff happening and Peter Capaldi stuck with the exposition of what's happening. Very much like what JW had to do a lot of time in the last series that's just been on. I've often criticised Stephen Moffat for being, you know, building his Doctor Who career on ripping off Time Travel's wife as a novel. And this film just struck me as, you know, right, he's ripping off Inception now. And including a list of the movies that you're you're homaging isn't a get-out, I'm afraid, Mr Moffat. I think it's just, it's, he's probably under extreme, I've said as well, he's probably under extreme pressure working on Sherlock and all that. So, you know, maybe his ideas bucket was running a bit thin, but I loathed it. Plotless mess. We've got more of the, the Moffat, you know, bait and switch scenes, you know, like all the stuff during the Matt Smith era when you think that Amy's talking about the Doctor and she's actually talking about Rory and how she fancied him actually and all that. So by this point, even though she'd only been out for a couple of years, I was getting really tired of Clara and really wished that she would just go. And it was, I remember at the end just sort of thinking, right, are they just, is she going or what? And then the corniness of the Doctor flying the sledge, the sleigh through space, which Matt had only done like, you know, three, four years earlier. I thought, you know, this is Moffat recycling on a ridiculous level. So when Kenny said the other week that this was one of the episodes that we were going to watch, I was like, oh God. And I honestly had to force myself to open the DVD player and put the disc in the machine. So it's probably a relief to say that when I did watch it this time, my feelings were not as strong. I still think it's a plotless mess. My criticisms about the writing still stand. I was less offended by it this time, probably because I wasn't coming to it at the end of a series that I loathed. When we did Deep Breath, I talked about how nice it had been to revisit the 12th Doctor after having had his whole sort of life play out. And it was interesting watching it again from this point of view, from you know the distance of six or seven years. I thought Peter was very good. It was nice to see Michael Troughton. I wasn't as irritated by Nick Frost as I was in Transmission. I kind of wish that he hadn't been a, a dream Santa. I kind of wish he'd been the real Santa and they'd really emphasised that and done it in a sort of almost a TV comic type way. You know, I think that, that would have been a bit more satisfying if the writer had had the imagination. It didn't irritate me as much. I'll put it that way. Uh, do I still think of it as the worst? Do I still think it's the worst episode of Doctor Who ever made? Probably not because of a time to calm down. But I find very, very little to be positive about with this one. I mean, other than the fact that seven years later, it didn't irritate me. I was able to maybe appreciate what um, Dan Starkey and his mate were doing a little bit more. I was able to, you know, with a little bit, it wasn't even object objectivity because I think it was fairly objective at the time. I think, I think it's a writer that's running on empty just ripping off Aliens and Inception because he can't think of anything else. I think Peter Capaldi probably deserved better, but I think that a lot of the time that he, he just got speechified, he just got speeches to do rather than actually a plot with any proper development and any acting. Yeah, so while I still, while I didn't resent its existence as much as I did in 2014, my, my, a lot of my original criticism still stands and it's one that I, I really don't have a lot of good to say about. So, 
Kenny. I have quite a lot of affection for this because actually at this point, I had hoped that we could actually hear from Peter Capaldi himself talking about it with Stephen Moffat right. and Jenna Coleman. However, I was at the press call for this. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't. <laughs> well, not quite. I was at the press launch for this down in London. I went down to cover it for the Daily Record. So I got flown down and flown back the next morning all paid for by the record, stayed over in London. And this is where I actually got to meet Peter Capaldi after the screening of this episode and met our erstwhile friend Tom Harris there as well. And we were chatting for ages at the event and stood you know, literally about two feet, not even that, from Jenna Coleman, who is just the most stunning, flawless woman I have ever seen in my life. Beautiful skin, just beautiful hey, dress I thought you were going to say Miriam Margulies there. I have met her now. <laughs> and it was just such a pleasant, warm, lovely night, really good atmosphere. And before the screening, or sorry, after the screening, they did a and a with Boyd Hilton off of Heat. And I had this all audio recorded. However, I went to find this audio file this afternoon and I discovered that I lost it. It was on my previous phone, which went missing. Oh, no. I actually literally lost the phone in 2016. And my audio recording of this whole thing was on there, which I'm absolutely gutted by because I thought that'd be a really nice wee Easter egg to drop in here. But sadly, I don't That's have it. That's not right. You usually, you usually back up everything as well. Well, it was That's on my old work computer, which I had to return when I left the company and I thought I'd saved everything. Right. I also lost the David Tennant and Russell T interview on there as well. No! <sighs> oh, yeah. Anyway, thoughts on this episode. They're slightly tainted. I mean, I don't know if tainted's the word, but tinted. I'm slightly more rose-tinted because the first time I saw it, I was sitting about eight feet away from Peter Capaldi. And there was a really lovely atmosphere in the room. There had been some drinks beforehand, some mince pies. There were wee Doctor Who stickers all around. There was glitter. There was tinsel at the BFI. And I just sat back and enjoyed it. In fact, I was texting Dan Starkey beforehand because I thought he'd have been there. But sadly, Dan was working in another job, so wasn't able to make it along. But I, I mean, have to say, I quite enjoyed it. I quite like the fact that, uh, is it a dream? Is it not a dream? Because some of the stuff that had been going on at that time, the, the Mirror and the Sunday Mirror had been reporting, Jenna Coleman's going. No, Jenna Coleman's staying. No, Jenna's going. No, she definitely is staying. And she definitely did, of course. But... Stephen Moffat made reference to this in the press conference saying, well, actually, she wasn't sure because at one point she definitely was going, then she decided, no, she'd stay, then she would go, and then she definitely would stay. So that stuff at the end was actually sort of mirroring what was going on. Was she going to stay? Was she going to go? And it was written with that in mind, and obviously, of course, she stayed. So I enjoyed that. I mean, yes, it's not the most original, as you've said, Dave, you mentioned all the, the influences on it, but I quite like the Doctor Who doing a take on these things. It's sort of uh, done in a budget. Quite like the Dream Crabs. I thought they were quite entertaining as a, as a concept. Did they bring them back the following year, or am I imagining things? No, was, that, that was some other things. With the zippy head people. Right. Yeah, I couldn't, I mean, there's, there was, because, because as I've said many times, there's a lot of Capaldi episodes that I've not watched since they first went out. I have no memory of them, of Doctor Mysterio at all. So, um... I might have to watch that one again. I'm not sure what I'm thinking about. When Dave, I, save when it for I... next Christmas. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, th I thought the cast were great. I really like seeing Michael Troughton on screen, who is an absolutely lovely, lovely man. And it's not the greatest, but it's one that 
I can put it on and I would definitely feel Christmassy because I quite I like Nick Frost portrayal. I think he's quite entertaining as Santa and captures what I would like Santa Claus to be, really. So John, what about you? How did you feel about it? I like everything. Um you know, uh, so I I really I know, sorry Dave. All right, man. Uh, let's no, let's have some positivity to finish on. Sorry, I know, but really we've got to get the energy back up. I enjoyed it. I liked a lot of the humour, a lot of the banter between Santa and the elves and all that. That that was good. Uh, I think Moffat's a very yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a witty writer. The only thing that I would say by way of criticism of of the episode is the fact that I wasn't really thinking about allusions to to Inception and those influences, just the fact that it just gets quite complex, the dream within a dream thing. And again, I'm always thinking about, well, what would a kid watching this um, think? And and whereas all the stuff about, well, there's the the scary dream crabs and where you've got a kind of a funny Santa figure. But I think the the complexity of the dream stuff, especially when it it comes down to what's happening with Clara at the end, might might lose them a little. So that was just something that that, that, that I thought, mm, that's that's the only thing that I would have thought I felt by by way of a, a negative uh, review. But really I, I loved it. I just thought it was it was it was really Christmassy as you, as you say, Kenny, for me anything which has Merry Christmas, everybody uh, in it is a certified Christmas classic. So I like the fact that the girl Shona dancing her way across, you know trying to to I mean I suppose that was that was that was the good thing about about the, the dream aspect that it mirrored a lot of what it's like to be in, in a dream and trying to focus on things uh, that are that are threatening you. You know, so yeah, I liked all of that. Um, I, one thing I thought, I don't know how you feel about this John, did she remind you of Jodie Whittaker? Yes. Jodie Whittaker's doctor. Yeah, yeah, that can yeah. I found that I found that's like a kind of, you know, I was very oh hang on. So, you know, does that mean that the, the Doctor was influenced by this person from last Christmas in the same way that the Doctor was influenced by Maxo from Ark of Infinity and influenced by the guy from Fires of Pompeii? I don't know. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Was there not some, some talk of, of, of her being a companion, a potential companion figure, if Jenna Coleman had gone? Was that, that, rings was a that, bell. that does ring a bell. Yeah. Kenny yeah. probably know more about that, to be honest, than me. Really liked her as a character, and I like her as an actress. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen anything else, but it's weird. I mean, what I gave it an incredibly negative review, yes, but I can't emphasize how much less I hated it than I did on original broadcast. That that does count for something, believe me. It does. Um, there are episodes since that have maybe may not irritated me as much, but I that I I feel are. Probably of less value. <laughs> so there we go. I did find a little more value in it than I did in 2014. So I, I don't know if that if that's if that's a positive. I hope I hope we're <laughs> I hope that works. I think it does. I think that's good. I think that's a nice, lovely, positive note on which to end. So of course, <laughs> listeners, you can find out what we've been up to, what new episodes are out, and such likes by following us on Twitter. We are at Power of Three Pod. Uh, Dave, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Yes, find me on Twitter if you so desire. I'm hardly on it these days because it's so depressing. I'm on Twitter at D A V A D S T W L at David Steele, and you should also check out the the Earth Two podcast and the Poster podcast and the Piece of Eight podcast and the Scottish Field podcast and. <laughs> 
can't remember the name of the actual bigger one because he's only done one episode. Yeah. John, where can people find you? People feel so inclined uh, and so and so sad. They can find me on Twitter at Dr. J B B. Uh, I refuse to spell it out. Um, if you want to find me, yes, look at my look who I follow, and you'll find it. You'll find them that way. That's a good <laughs> yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Well, we'll be back with our final episode of 2021 next week, which means we will actually have done at least one episode a week every week this year, which is not a bad wee feat. But until then, Dave, would you like to say fairly well to the lovely listeners? Yes. This- Absolutely. Take care, listeners. Um, Merry Christmas. Look after yourselves. Take care. John, would you like to say ta-ta? Yes, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, and a very Merry Christmas to all of you at home. Damn it, I was going to use that. Did anyone to just say that? <laughs> oh, sorry. No, well done. That's all right. I'll let you have it. Um, remember, the Pieces of Eight yeah, Christmas well. special will drop tomorrow, Christmas Eve, looking at the making of the Eighth Doctor festive episode, Relative Dimensions, featuring Mark Platt, the writer, and Jamie Robertson, who did the music for it. And make sure you listen to the very end, because there's a very special line there, which you will never have heard in the way that you're going to hear it. So for me, Kenny... It's a goodbye and a very merry, peaceful and hopefully safe Christmas for all of you out there. But before we go, does somebody have a question for me? Mm. Can I have 10 pounds? No. Okay then, go on, John, ask him. Kenny, what are you going to play us out with on this very special Christmas episode? Well, John, I'm glad you asked me that. And earlier, of course, you did make mention of a Christmassy song. But we're not going to play that one. We're not going to play Merry Christmas, everyone. It seems apt that since we've talked about Voyage of the Damned, that we finish off with the song from that episode, The Stowaway, which was performed by singer Yamit Mammal. Once I found a stowaway Upon my ship on Christmas Day I was fair so I gave him a chance You shouldn't be What's your tail? I ought to throw you to the whale He just smiled and said Come here, let's dance He said, for I will seal I'll find a way To be with my lover upon Christmas Day And I'll run and I'll roam I'll cover the ground This Christmas I'll see you I'll be around He told me about his girl back home Waiting patient all alone While we danced I shed a little tear He closed his eyes all out at sea I think he danced with her not me I'll just have to wait another year He said for I will steal to be with my lover upon Christmas Day And I'll run and I'll roam, I'll cover the ground This Christmas I'll see you, I'll be around I think of him now and again I wonder how his journey ends As I sail by on my lonesome sea That stranger with a haunting face Here then gone without a 
the sun's